Hey there, future fans! This week, we have an odd take on nepotism, we find some of that old family magic, and the guy who does our taxes does not carry a shotgun. This is the week of April 24th, 2020, and you are listening to episode 171 of Future Flicks with Billiam. everyone welcome to the show that is right it is episode 171 of future flicks with billiam we are that much closer on the road to episode 200 and you know what the good news is by episode 200 all this corona stuff would have been a distant memory but for now we are still doing the the slightly different show because as all of you regular listeners know what we usually do on this show, and that is talking about all things movies. Well, the good news is we're still talking about movies, but just slightly differently, because normally on the show, which I hope if you're new right now, if you're new, that you stick around to hear a normal show when we start again. But normally on the show, we start off with the news, any new news, any new stories that have caught my eye since the last episode. We then go on to the trailers. Those are any new trailers I've caught my eye since the last episode. And then we jump into the movies. Those are all the movies hitting theaters the week of the show. And they're broken up into two categories. The limited section, which we just tell you what the movie is, what it's about, who's in it. And then maybe I'll give a thought or two about it. But then other than that, we move on to the next film. The next segment is the wide releases and interesting indies. And in that section, we do all the regular stuff, tell you what the movie is, what's about, who's in it. But then I give my thoughts on the film and then we give it a score, which I call the Billiams Interest Level Score. And we always sing it. I don't know why. And that score can go anywhere from a zero for those terrible films to an 11 for those films that kick it up that extra notch. And, you know, I've recently been thinking about the Bill score because it originally started out as part of the somewhat nerdy uh, website that we're going to base things on a scale of zero to eleven or maybe one to eleven because we all love the film. Uh, This is Spinal Tap, obviously a classic. But now I like the out of eleven deal more than it just being a gimmick and a nod to Spinal Tap because there are films out there that wow me so much that. It's hard to compare them to other like normal 10 films like, oh, this this is a great film. But this film here is truly amazing. But if you remember on Future Flex with Billiam, we don't get any we don't get any early access to films. So every score I give is based only on the trailer. So needless to say, when I finally do see the movie, sometimes the Future Flex score and what I actually think of the movie doesn't always line up. But you know what? That's the risk you take when you base everything off the trailer. Then in the show, we wrap it all up with the question of the week, and then I send you along your way to the other great shows you may listen to, which I hope are the friends of the show. 
And since we're all quarantining, or at least we should be, the show has temporarily changed. What I'm doing now is I'm watching movies, most of which I'm making sure are available on streaming services. And I do try to switch it up, so hopefully you have at least one of the services. And I watch the movies, and then I talk about them on the show. So instead of movies that are coming out in the future, these are movies that have already been released. And this week we're talking about Isn't It Romantic, which is available on Hulu and Amazon Prime. Parasite, which is available on Hulu, Onward, which is available on Disney+, and Spencer Confidential, which is available on Netflix. But before we jump into the movies we watched, let us start with the first segment, which, as always, is the news. This just in from Hollywood, the news. In a story from IndieWire, PETA has sent Taika Waititi a letter on the future of Fat Thor in Thor Love and Thunder. If you're not familiar with the group, PETA stands for Pretentious Entitled Tightwadded Assholes, and in this letter, they encourage Taika Waititi to have Fat Thor lose the weight through becoming a vegan. They bring up the fact that Chris Hemsworth himself did become vegan for a little bit to help lose the weight to become Thor in the first place, but now they want it as part of the movie. And you know what? I'm pretty sure Taika Waititi is going to say no to this and instead maybe have Thor go to an In-N-Out and just eat a 4x4, animal style. I don't know. Now, don't be that petty. It's just whenever I see PETA in the news, I'm just preparing myself to see something that's either f***ing stupid or just kind of dumb. Because we know PETA. PETA has made a lot of waves recently, and not for good reasons. If you remember, just with Vice President Joe Biden alone, they did a lot of sh**. In 2017, Cornell University was going to name an ice cream flavor after Joe Biden, and PETA protested it. Protested a f***ing ice cream flavor. And I get it. I do. Before anyone gets on my back, I get it. I get that they're protesting the treatment of cows. I understand that. That's why personally I make sure that when I buy, when I buy something, it's from a humane source. And then also they protested Joe Biden when he was handing out hot dogs to soldiers returning from the Middle East. It's like, really? He is there shaking hands, meeting with, and giving returning soldiers some food, some American food, and you're protesting that? So personally, I believe in the ethical treatment of animals. I believe that even though I am a meat eater, they shouldn't be tortured before they're killed. But no matter how much I, I do believe in the proper treatment of animals, I'm never going to side with PETA. PETA can go suck a gigantic dick. Anyway, let's move on to a story from Flickering Myth. Apparently, there is a rumor that Disney has been in talks with Joss Whedon about directing a Fantastic Four movie. And maybe more than directing, maybe writing it too. And I love me some Joss Whedon. I do. I really love Joss Whedon. But if he does a Fantastic Four movie, we have to ask ourselves, which one of the Fantastic Four is this guy going to kill? He can't do a movie without killing some loved character. He just always wants to stab us right in the heart. No word yet on if that myth is anything more than just a myth or rumor. But uh, I'll tell you when we find out. In a story from NME, or should we say a non-story, Dane DeHaan, who was in Spider-Man, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, says that he believes Disney's purchasing of Marvel kept a Sinister Six movie from happening. So this non-story is just basically Dane DeHaan giving his idea on why it's not going to happen, because he, he says it felt like they were leading up to it, and then Disney came in, 
They rebooted, not they, but, you know, Spider-Man was rebooted with Tom Holland. He became part of the MCU. And now DeHaan thinks that it's not going to happen, even though if you've watched any of the f***ing movies, it looks like they're leading up to the Sinister Six. We've already seen Vulture, Scorpion, Shocker, and Mysterio. Though the only people of that group that were in the original Sinister Six was, uh, let's see, Mysterio and Vulture, there have been so many different iterations of the Sinister Six. The Spider-Man video game that came out not too long ago had a different Sinister Six just to just to include the new bad guy they created. So who's to say that that's not exactly what they're leading up to? Uh, folks, if you didn't hear this, according to CNET, Christian Bale will be playing a villain in Thor Love and Thunder. Which villain? Uh, we're not quite sure yet. This next story comes to us from Variety. A Whitney Houston biopic is in the works from director... Directa? Yeah, Directa. From director Stella Meggie. She's directed, uh, oh, she directed that movie, The Photograph, that, actually, I'm not sure if it came out yet. Uh, she has also directed a couple episodes of The First Wives Club and Grown-ish, and she directed Everything Everything. This next story also comes to us from Variety. If you didn't hear, the Venom sequel has been delayed. Duh. I, I think we know that lots of things have been delayed. And it gets an official title. So no, the, now the new release date is October 1st, 2021. And the title is going to be Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And my God, I hope that all of this is leading up to a maximum carnage. Even though I don't like the fact that they took Spider-Man out of Venom's origin story. Because Spider-Man is a huge part of Venom's origin story. Huge. And they completely took him out. And I don't like that. But still... Even with that, I still hope they're going for a Maximum Carnage movie. That would be amazing. And terrible, terrible news. Part of this story let me know that Ghostbusters Afterlife was pushed back. Now, I, I knew it had to happen. But here's why I am so hurt by this. Because the original release date for this film was four days before my birthday. Four days before my mother birthday. And now it's pushed back to March 5th, 2021. Look, I understand why. I get it. This coronavirus thing is serious. We should be taking it seriously. Social distancing. We shouldn't assume it's going to be done by July. Even if things are looking better in July, we should we still shouldn't all congregate together. I understand that fully. But fuck. Okay, now that I've wiped my tears away, let us talk about the next story from comicbook.com. A two-part story, actually. The first is that apparently Sony has the rights to about 900 Marvel characters, most of them linked through Spider-Man, most of them being heroes that Spider-Man has worked with or villains of Spider-Man. Rumor has it that the Black Cat and Silver Sable movie has been canceled indefinitely because they believe Black Cat is a big enough character to hold her own movie, to which I say, and anyone who's read Spider-Man before, no sh**. And now it's official, Sony's universe of Marvel movies has a name. It's called the SUMC, or Sony's Universe of Marvel Characters. And the only way Sony will be able to keep this going at all is if they keep producing quality movies. And some of you out there may not like comic book movies, so what I mean by quality is quality to a comic book fan or to the masses who would see this. This next story also comes to us from comicbook.com, and if you heard anything about Indiana Jones 5 starting filming soon... That apparently was a mistake. Well, duh. Apparently in an interview, he said that it will begin shooting next week, but appears that he misspoke and it's next year. Thank God. 
And ladies and gentlemen, unless you know of anything new, that is it for the news. So as always, if I missed a story you think I should have talked about, let me know and I will talk about it in the next episode. So let us take our first break as we hear a word from our friends at the Somewhat Nerdy Radio Podcast, and then we'll be right back with the trailers. Stay tuned. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. It is time for everyone's favorite segment, The Trailer Trove. Avast, and welcome to the Trailer Troll. The first movie we have to talk about is a film called Capone. It's really interesting, before I talk about what the movie's about and who's in it, it's very interesting that they're releasing this trailer now because this is set for a May 12th, 2020 release date, and somehow I think this is not going to hit theaters. Just call me crazy. All right, that I don't think this is going to hit theaters. Either way, this movie is about a 47-year-old Al Capone after serving 10 years in prison, and he starts suffering from dementia and comes to be haunted by his violent past. This stars Tom Hardy as Al Capone, Linda Cardinelli as his wife, Noel Fisher and Matt Dillon as well. I think this film looks interesting just because it's Tom Hardy, and Tom Hardy is one hell of an actor. But the thing I wonder is, why are they starting here near the end of Capone's life? Hell, this takes place right before he dies, and he could even die in the film. So I'm wondering why they're starting here. Why not do a do two movies or a set of three, like a big epic about Capone? Like starting with him becoming a big deal, going to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and have that movie end with him going to prison for tax evasion, I believe it was, and then this movie. But guess what? They're not going to do that, even though that would be badass. Instead, we have this film that, that looks good. There are times, at least in the trailer, where Tom Hardy's makeup looks kind of makeup-y, I guess, if that makes sense, where it kind of doesn't work and other times where it works very well. So I think this film does have potential, but let's see when it actually comes out, because I t I'll tell you something, it's not going to hit theaters on May 12th. The next trailer is something I just want to touch on, because it's, it's a thing, and I saw it, and I also can't unsee it, so now maybe I will make you see it. It's a trailer for Anna Kendrick's Quibi? Is that what it's called? Quibi movie or show or something called Dummy? And it's about her and how she finds out that her boyfriend has a sex doll. And not just like one of those blow-up dolls you see in a lot of frat movies. One of those very f***ing expensive looking sex dolls. And then guess what? The sex doll starts to talk to her. And they become friends and they go on a road trip. What the actual f***? And that wasn't an angry what the f***. That was more of a what the f***. Like, what's going on? I'm still not sold on Quibi. It just, it, for, what was it, five something a month? Okay, here are the price points. $4.99 per month 
with ads and they say that there is roughly 2.5 minutes of advertisements per hour of content and then $7.99 for ad free. And so far, the biggest downside I'm seeing about Quibi is it can't be put on your TV. Like, you know, if I, I have my phone, I can play a video on YouTube through my phone on the TV or my TV, which is a smart TV, has apps. And so I could watch all kinds of shit just, just through my TV or through my PlayStation. But thus far, there is no way to do that with Quibi. But since it's all original content, it kind of seems like more of a risk. Because if you remember, like me, when Netflix started, it was a subscription service where you borrowed DVDs, they would mail them to you, you'd watch it, send it back. But you knew what they had and it was all already known content. But with Quibi, it's all brand new and that seems very risky. If any of you, my future friends, if any of you have Quibi, let me know. Let me know how you like it. Do you think it's worth it? But for now, let's move on to the next trailer. Next up, folks, we have an interesting trailer for a movie that's coming straight to VOD called Valley Girl. This stars, let me see, Alicia Silverstone, Peyton List from Light as a Feather, Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Mae Whitman from The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Gross, looks like Logan Paul's in this too. Anyway, it's a very interesting sounding movie. So we have this mother and daughter, the daughter's going through some shit. And the mother starts telling her a story of her childhood that takes place in the 80s. Alicia Silverstone is the mother. That's how old we are, people. Alicia Silverstone is the mother. And it's believable. She didn't need makeup to be the mother. Batgirl has bat babies. Anyway, this is a 80s period piece. And it's the story of these two young lovers from different backgrounds who defy their parents and friends to stay together. Oh my god, we've seen this movie before. But it's also a musical, a musical featuring songs from the 80s and big dance numbers. And I'm I'm there. I want to see this. It may be crap. It may be ridiculous. It's a musical rom-com set in the 80s. That's all I need to know. And this will come out streaming or VOD May 8th. If it hits a streaming service, I'll let you know. All right, next up, we have the trailer for The Trip to Greece. You may already know what this is about if you're familiar with any of the other trip movies. That is The Trip from 2010, The Trip to Italy in 2014, and The Trip to Spain in 2017. Well, 2020 is bringing us the final movie in the series, and that is, of course, The Trip to Greece. This stars, if you've ever seen it, you know it's the same two guys. It is Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. Both of these actors playing themselves, but not playing themselves. It's a documentary, but not really it because they are playing characters. Steve Coogan is playing a version of himself, Rob Brydon, a version of himself. And so in the trip, they, the whole thing was they were doing a TV show about eating at different places, trying the cuisines in the areas they traveled. And it was Coogan and Bryden going around, but you also saw all the behind the scenes stuff, which makes up the drama of the movie. This is also a, I believe it was a TV show in the UK and it's already aired. So I don't know. Here's my question that I've never found out because I'm lazy is, is, are the movies just the TV show spliced together or are we missing out by watching these movies? Because the type of person who would like these movies is still very specific. You have to like British humor. You have to like one of them, Steve Coogan or Rob Brydon. I happen to like both. My wife is a big Rob Brydon fan because he was in Gavin and Stacey, one of our favorite TV shows. When I first saw The Trip back in 2010, 
I had no idea who Rob Brydon was. I knew who Steve Coogan was, of course. He's, I believe he's the more famous of the two in America. I don't know about the UK, but I watched it. I thought it was hilarious. And now I know who Rob Brydon is. So now I'm even more excited for this final chapter of the film that comes out May 22nd. It is still not pushed back yet. It has kept its release date. So we will see if it actually stays on the, on the 22nd of May and it just hits streaming or if they push it back. Either way, I think these are great movies to watch back to back to back to back, or maybe one a day. I, I think they're entertaining films. Next up, we have a trailer for a film called Proximity, which so far has a May 18th, 2020 release date. And it's about this young man who is just hanging out with this girl. It looks like they're just friends, or they've been dating long enough that they're in that comfortable space where they can just do their own thing in each other's proximity, which is always fun. And they notice a meteorite hit the earth and they go see what it is and they get separated. The young man gets abducted and no one believes him. So now he's trying to get people to believe him by going on any show that will have him and talking about it. But this makes people interested, people calling him a fraud. And also the government is interested in him because they believe he knows more than he's saying. So they are after him as well. And he may or may not have some sort of weird power. The two stars of this movie haven't really done much at all. Ryan Mason and Heidi Kwan. And Heidi, for her, is spelled H-I-G-H-D-E-E, -E, which makes me think she had one of those parents or, you know, group of parents that just want to be unique. They like the name. They like this name, but they don't like the way it's spelled. They just want to make it a little different. But unfortunately for Heidi, it looks like that her parents just couldn't spell. But enough about making fun of her parents. This film looks good. It doesn't have anyone big in it, but you know that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad or it doesn't necessarily mean it'll be anything. The only bonus for having a well-known actor or actress in your movie is the fact that it could draw people who are fans of them. It could also shy people away from your work if they don't like that actor or actress. But when a film like this has no one of note, you really, really have to sell it through the trailer, and I think they did. I think this looks like an interesting film. A unique sci-fi drama, so we'll see if this actually hits theaters or if it's going to be pushed back. Folks, next up is a film that I'm not even sure is a film. I think it's a miniseries, but the thing is, I don't know where it's being released. I don't have a release date for it. It just sounds really interesting, so I'll mention it really quick. This is called Time Warp, the greatest cult films of all time, and it comes in three parts, and they talk about films like Rocky Horror, The Big Lebowski. Uh, they talk about Point Break, and then some films I've never heard of. And they interview the stars, and they actually get the stars. They actually talk to the dude himself. They talk to, so Jeff Bridges, Gary Busey, Bruce Campbell. So I'm assuming they're talking about Evil Dead. They get John Cleese, Gary Cole, David Cross, Barry Bostwick. It just sounds interesting. So keep your eyes open for this. It's not obviously a Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime deal. So just keep your eyes open everywhere. This could be interesting. Next up, folks, we have a trailer for a movie called The Flood. This is a drama from the UK starring Lena Headey, Ian Glenn, and also stars, it looks like character actor, because I don't see a lot for him, but it looks like he does a good job, Ivano Jeremiah. If you watched the episode of Black Mirror called Mopped Man, is it? Hold on, let me see. Ba -ba -ba, here we go, looking up. Shut Up and Dance is the name of the episode. He played the Mopped Man, or Moped Man. Anyway, this film is about this gentleman, uh, played by Ivano Jeremiah, named Haley, I think. 
he is on the run. He has left his home country as a traitor and he makes it to the UK to seek asylum. Lena Headey plays the agent in charge of his fate, basically deciding what's going to happen to him. Will he get asylum or will they send him back? And so she has to hear his story and his story is not great. He worked, he was a member of a military group in this third world country somewhere. And he is tasked with executing this guy and burying the body. So instead of doing that, his conscience gets the better of him. You know, like any good person would, he gives the guy some water and walks away. The bad guys or the country he works, he lives in, finds out the punishment for that is death. He manages to escape and by escaping, he has to really ask for help from the lowest of low people. Some real sketchy people, but he makes it to the UK and now Lena Headey is in charge of his fate. So this movie is basically two parts. We have Haley's story from getting to where he was born to the UK and Lena Headey with what is she going to do? This is supposed to come out May 1st, but as always in recent history, we will see. Next up, folks in the trove, a quickie, a movie called Blood and Money, supposed to come out May 15th, starring Tom Berenger. Yes, Tom Berenger is still around, and uh, Paul Ben Victor is the other big name. Paul Ben Victor, you'd remember him if you ever saw the show In Plain Sight. But in this movie, Tom Berenger plays this retired veteran who is in the in northern Maine hunting in basically no man's land. They, they warn him before he go up, goes up there, hey, if anything happens to you, we can't find you. We can't help you. And he's like, okay, whatever. I'm old. I'll do my thing. He stumbles across a dead woman and a huge bag of money. So he does what anyone would do in that case. And he takes the money and gets the f*** out of there. Unfortunately for him, there are very dangerous people looking for this money. So he's trying to get back home while being chased by these criminals. A simple plot, but it looks very interesting. All right, folks, next up, we have a very cheery documentary called The Third Strike. It's about the, the three strike policy. And I think it's very interesting. I would watch this if it came out and easily be accessible because it looks very interesting because they bring up some good points. Like there are people in jail for life who have minor drug offenses three times. So we throw them in jail and throw away the key. But they're murderers, actual murderers who get less time. They're rapists who get less time. So you could be in jail for life for three minor drug offenses and watch a pedophile come in and go. And you're like, okay, well, I'm still here. This person who hurt a child or who raped, raped someone or who murdered someone, maybe all three, they're gone. That's fair, right? A no set release date. It, it's just worth keeping an eye out for because it does look interesting. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hate to end on a sour note, but that was actually the final trailer that caught my eye. Once again, if there are any out there that you wish to talk about or... Well, you wish I talked about. Let me know, of course. But for now, let us take our next break as we hear word from our friends at the Nerds of the Squared Circle podcast. Please stay tuned. Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Hi, I'm Sam Jericho of SomewhatNerdy.com's Nerds of the Squared Circle. Join me, Starf Chris, and the dude with the headband. We talk about wrestling and more wrestling do you like wrestling yeah Yeah. then you should listen to our podcast do you not like wrestling you should still listen to our podcast someone to read a comms nerds in the squared circle subscribe to us on itunes or your favorite podcast app today nerds in the squared circle on somewhatnerdy.com all right ladies and gentlemen we are back and it's time for the movie so let's start hmm 
what order should we do this in? Okay, let's do this in the order of Isn't It Romantic and Spencer Confidential, then The Break, then Onward, then Parasite. Ending with Parasite because it's the big one, starting with Isn't It Romantic because it's not the big one. So let's talk about Isn't It Romantic. This is available to stream right now on Hulu and Amazon Prime. This came out in 2019, and it stars Rebel Wilson from Pitch Perfect, Adam Devine from Pitch Perfect, Liam Hemsworth from The Hunger Games, Priyanka Chopra from Baywatch, Betty Gilpin from Glow, and Brandon Scott Jones from The Good Place. So if you don't remember, this movie was the one where Rebel Wilson hits her head and wakes up in a romantic comedy. The trouble is, she hates love, she hates rom-coms, she does not believe in it. Oh, and you know what, just a quick note, I'm going to put this in the show notes so you probably have already seen it, but just in case you do not read the, uh, you know, the little blurbs with each show, this is not going to be spoiler-free. All these movies I'm talking about, it will not be spoiler-free. So basically, more spoilers than a Fast and the Furious movie. That's some car humor right there, because I'm a guy, you know, cars, makes sense. So anyway, she wakes up in a romantic comedy and believes that the only way that she can get out is if she gets someone to fall in love with her. The first guy that she notices is this guy that actually came by her work because she works as a as an architect and he's this big rich jerk. But now, since she woke up in this rom-com, everything is a meet-cute. Meet-cute, that uh, Anne and I talked about not too long ago, was a term that I learned recently that she knew way before I did. But it's a romantic comedy term, or a romance novel term, where two characters meet, and it's cute! So it's a meet-cute! How cute! How quaint! Quite. So if I remember right, she gets hit by his car because it's Rebel Wilson and what else is going to happen to her? She's like a modern day Dick Van Dyke with her level of of, uh, slapstick and physical comedy. So she goes after him. Her friend, played by Adam Devine, who you can tell pretty early on has a thing for her, runs into a swimsuit model and saves her as she's choking on her food and they hit it off. So basically this film cuts down but also lifts up romantic comedies like it makes fun of the tropes but it also is one and it's a good one. And it also seems to hit on some tropes too from sitcoms where Rebel Wilson lives in a big city and somehow has a huge apartment that she can magically pay for even though she's not rich. Like in Friends, how did those ass live in those apartments. The only one I understand is Frasier. I understand how he can live in this huge place because he's f***ing Frasier Crane. Anyway, enough of that, uh, enough of that specific trope. But she even has a gay best friend who is actually her neighbor who doesn't like her. But now, magically, he loves her. He's over all the time. And he's turned from this just person without any affected voice to one of those stereotypical gay people that you see in some movies. So I really hope this isn't offensive, but... Remember the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy cast. So in the beginning of the movie, her next door neighbor was Ted Allen. While she has her while she has her rom-com thing going on, it's Carson. But let's talk about the movie as a whole. I, I think this does work because it's more of a character journey. It's more than just, hey, let's find her love. Let's find this unlikely person love. And you know what's great? Let's hook this this person who's obviously not a Playboy model. Let's hook her up with one of the hottest actors in Hollywood right now, according to some. Isn't that funny? Aren't they the odd couple? 
But fortunately, the film isn't that shallow. It, it really isn't. And I think they do a good job of it because if I remember correctly, Rebel Wilson's weight actually isn't brought up. And I always applaud that in a movie where they have a plus size character and they're not going to bring up the fact that they're fat. Like in the movie Booksmart with uh, Beanie Feldstein, they never bring up the fact that she is a plus size woman. And the reason people don't like her is her personality, not anything to do with her size. And I think Isn't It Romantic took that idea, and I really like that fact. Rebel Wilson's real problem isn't her lack of a guy in her life, isn't the lack of some super hunky dude, it's the fact that she herself needs to change. And in this movie, she goes on a journey, we go on it with her. Then so when it all ends in a, I'm going to say it very predictable way, it is very rewarding. It is so rewarding that even though both of us, both me, and Anne, we both saw it coming, it was still enjoyable. Because sometimes when you see an ending coming, and it's so obvious, it takes away from the whole experience. You're like, oh, well, I saw that. That's it. That twist is all you had for us. But luckily, Isn't a Romantic had more than just the twist of, oh, it's her. She needs to work on herself first. So then when she wakes up in the hospital, realizing it was all a dream, she is fixed. I mean, she probably has some has to smooth the edges a bit, but she now has a different look on life and she now realizes that maybe there's someone in her life that has liked her the whole time. Maybe it's Josh played by Adam Devine. And I really liked the fact that in the movie they have Adam Devine and Rebel Wilson. They have they have Josh and Natalie sitting at different parts of the office. So it looks like Josh is always staring at the window at this swimsuit model uh, and it's Priyanka Chopra in the in on the picture, and that's why she was in the dream. But then when Natalie confronts Josh about it, they switch places, and it, and he goes, "Look, I've been looking at you this whole time," and it's super cute. And what's better, really, than a a lighthearted, funny comedy that just that just warms you up inside, that makes you makes you happy? But there are some of you that have very good reasons for staying away from this film. Maybe you don't like Rebel Wilson. She has a very specific style of comedy, just like people like when Steve Carell still did comedies, Jim Carrey, Melissa McCarthy, people like that. So if you don't like Rebel Wilson movies, you can you can stay away. And hey, I'm not judging you. Because you're not just sitting there being stubborn going, oh, I'm not going to watch this film for no good reason. You have a good reason. You don't like her type of films, and that's fine. But if you do, or you have no opinion of her, really, give this film a shot. It is it is enjoyable. It is fun. And I do feel weird giving this spoiler-filled review of the movie and then telling you to check it out if you haven't. But there are people out there that, you know, don't mind spoilers. Like my friend Evan, who may or may not still listen to the show. I don't know. But he's the type of guy who purposely look up spoilers and it does nothing to impede his enjoyment of a movie of a game or anything like that he could have gone into endgame knowing exactly how it ended and he still would have enjoyed it i, I assume he enjoyed it but as far as modern rom-coms go isn't it romantic is a good film it's not a great film it's not one that I'll think about all the time. It's not one that I'll just grab to rewatch at a moment's notice. But it's a film that will stay with me. And it's a film that I will think of. So maybe when Valentine's Day rolls around next, maybe if I do some sort of uh, some sort of rom-com marathon, thanks to Anne, I couldn't think of the word marathon. It just left my mind. 
If I do some sort of rom-com marathon, I will put this on the list. It is a solid film. You know exactly what to expect going in. Just watch the trailer. If that's not your type of comedy, boom, don't watch it. Or if you if you do laugh, then watch this. It's a fun film. What else can I say? Isn't it romantic? Gets an 8 out of 11. All right, my future friends. Next up, we have the film Spencer Confidential. This stars Mark Wahlberg from The Departed, Winston Duke from Us, Alan Arkin from Little Miss Sunshine, Eliza Schlesinger, I think how you say it, from Instant Family, Bokeem Woodbine from Spider-Man Homecoming, Mark Marin from Marin, Michael Gaston from The Man in High Castle, and rapper Post Malone from that little-known show What the F*** Have I Done to My Face. This is based off a series of books originally started by Robert B. Parker, who died back in 2010. Robert B. Parker wrote 40 Spencer novels. It was then taken over by Ace Atkins, who has written so far eight of the books, and this movie is based off the 42nd Spencer novel called Wonderland. But here's the thing. Let me read you the premise, the official IMDb premise for Spencer Confidential, and I'll read you the premise for Wonderland, the book it's based off of. When two Boston police officers are murdered, ex-cop Spencer teams up with his no-nonsense roommate Hawk to take down the criminals. To be honest, there's more to the movie than that, but that's, that's enough to give to whet your appetite. So here it is. Here's the premise for Wonderland. Henry Camoli and Spencer have been best friends for years, yet the old boxing trainer has never asked the private eye for a favor. Until now. A heavy-handed developer is trying to buy up Henry's condo on River Beach and sends thugs to move the process along. Soon, Spencer and his apprentice, Zebulon Sixkill, yeah, Zebulon Sixkill is his name, they find a trail leading to a mysterious and beautiful woman, a megalomaniacal Las Vegas kingpin, and plans to turn a chunk of land north of Boston into a sprawling casino. Bitter rivals emerge, alliances turn... And the uglier pieces of the Boston political machine look to put an end to Spencer's investigation. Aspiration, greed, and twisted dreams all focus on the old Wonderland dog track where the famous amusement park once fronted the ocean. For Spencer and Z, the simple favor to Henry will become the fight of their lives. So here's the thing. That last part was in Spencer Confidential. There really was some bullshit with turning an old dog racing track into a casino. The rest of that shit has nothing to do with the movie. So in Spencer Confidential, our good friend Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch himself, gets thrown in jail because he was investigating a dirty cop who just happens to be a, uh, let's see, what was his? Captain. A captain. He's investigating a captain for being a dirty cop. So he goes to the captain's house and sees a bunch of broken glass and sees that the captain's wife has a black eye and bloody nose. So he snaps and starts beating the shit out of the captain, which I can get behind. Let's beat the shit out of people like that. That's a good thing. But it's illegal. Weird. So he gets thrown in jail for five years and he's out. Once he gets released on the same day, the captain winds up dead. And then another cop winds up dead who was also blamed with the captain's death. But Spencer senses something is off. So he starts an investigation and Henry, played by Alan Arkin, Henry's protege, Hawk, played by Winston Duke, joins him. So I, it seems funny that Sean O'Keefe and Brian Hegland, who wrote the screenplay for this movie, took the Spencer book and went, okay, we'll take this little piece of it and f*** the rest. 
and we'll just write our own script, but keep that dog track part. There are 48 Spencer novels. That's really the best one you can make a movie of? I say that, but I did like Spencer Confidential. It was good. I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. If you watch a trailer, you know exactly what to expect. This is a fun and enjoyable and very easy to watch action crime comedy. Imagine the Mark Wahlberg movie, The Other Guys, with less comedy. There's still comedy, there's still funny to it, but it's more, a little more of a serious movie. And the film was also predictable. There's there's this part where he's going to learn to be a truck driver because that's what he wants to do after he got out of jail. And that was his plan to become a become a truck driver and go move to Arizona for some weird reason, Arizona. And then these murders happen and he's like, oh, maybe I should find out what's going on. But when he's going to truck driving school, he sees this big, beautiful truck called Black Betty. It's this big, big black big rig. And that's always a focus of the scene when he, whenever he goes to the school. So it's like, hmm, maybe this is going to come into play somehow. Look, you know what kind of movie this is. You know that you watch this kind of film when you just want something easy to watch. You don't have to, you don't want to have to think. You don't want to have to pay full attention. If you look away for a little bit because you're doing paperwork or you're trying to file something or you're doing some other sort of work. If you look away for a bit, you won't miss much. And I'm not saying this is a bad film, but I'm just saying you don't need to constantly be paying attention to it for your enjoyment. This comes to us from director Peter Berg, who did movies like Friday Night Lights, The Kingdom, Hancock, Lone Survivor, Patriot's Day, Deepwater Horizon, Mile 22. You know what kind of movies he does, though those other movies, different from Spencer Confidential, but you know these aren't going to be brain taxing movies. You watch Spencer Confidential because you want to watch something enjoyable. You watch Spencer Confidential because you're a fan of Mark Wahlberg or Winston Duke or even Alan Arkin. You watch Spencer Confidential to watch a familiar film that's new enough to keep your interest. It doesn't matter that it's kind of obvious that his partner is the that his ex-partner is the bad guy. It doesn't matter that you know Spencer's going to steal Black Beauty to help him in the final confrontation. It doesn't matter that you know it's going to end in a fist fight because of all the focus on fist fighting throughout the movie. That doesn't matter. What matters is that you're watching a light, lighthearted-ish, because there is murder in it, but lighthearted-ish crime comedy. If you want to watch a deep and moving film, look elsewhere. If you just want something breezy to enjoy, Spencer Confidential is exactly your type of movie. Spencer Confidential gets a 7 out of 11. All right, my future friends, that is it for the first half of the movies. Let us take our first, first, our next break. As we hear a word from our friends at the Watchmouth Podcast, please stay tuned. There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high-dollar dinners. And some just do it by clever internetting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth Podcast employ a different approach. Wall-to-wall filthy f***ing language. Go to a grocery store, I'm like, I know exactly what I need. I get in there, I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> the f*** did I even come here for? With our charity swear jar, every f***ed up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction. The motherfucker's a mouth breather. Gaming, movies, life musings, it's all here. Served on a bed of f- 
Christmas and garnished with a crown of Shut the f*** up! How the f*** did we get here? Fuck all that f***ing jelly bean! So if you want to hear us do good things with bad words, check out the Watch Your Mouth podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at wympodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. And we're back. We are back with the latest Disney Pixar movie called Onward. Onward features features the voices of Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Octavia Spencer, Mel Rodriguez, Lena Waithe, Ali Wong, Tracy Ullman, and of course, John Ratzenberger. This film is about two elven brothers who embark on a quest to bring their father back for one day after they're gifted by their mother with a magic wand that backfires. So they are being followed around by half of their father, the legs to be exact, and have to find a special gem to power the spell. The more of these movies I see, the more big budget animated movies I see, the more I don't like the fact that we have huge celebrities doing it. Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. I love them as actors. I love them in the MCU. I love them in anything else I've seen them in. But if they weren't in Onward, the movie would be the same. It would not have suffered. I think animated films should go back to getting voice actors, people who specialize in this, because guess what? They need work too, and they're better at it because it's what they do for a living. Now, If Tom Holland or Chris Pratt actually have voice acting experience and they used to do it, then I'm sorry. I am. I did not know. And I did not care enough to look it up. But take a look, if you can, if you ever can, on the YouTubes, there's a video of Mark Hamill talking about how he created his voice for the Joker. We all know Mark Hamill did the voice of the Joker on the Batman animated series. And quite a few other times, too, he was the Joker. And he's a badass Joker. Whenever I think of the Joker... not Tom Holland, Mark Hamill's voice is the voice I think of. But he actually created the voice instead of just like changing his voice a little bit, making it a little higher, making it a little dopier. Animated movies do not benefit from big names. The only benefit, of course, is it brings more people into the theater. But really, why does it matter? Why does it matter that we had two of the MCU's biggest stars in this movie? It didn't. I bet you. If we got Billy West, John DiMaggio, Phil Lamar, people like that, or, you know, let's be, let's be fair, I named a bunch of men, so let's talk about Laura Bailey, Jennifer Hale, and Nancy Cartwright, talk about them as well, but there are a ton, ton of voice actors out there that can do amazing work who could probably make these movies better. Okay, I'm stepping off my soapbox, I, here, here I go, did you hear that? That was me stepping off my soapbox. Now let's talk about Onward as a movie. I liked it. I did, but I think Onward suffered terribly for two reasons. Two reasons. It wasn't sold enough. It wasn't nearly sold as much as Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4, uh, Coco, films like that. Those were sold up the wazoo. I saw ads for them everywhere. Onward didn't get that kind of treatment. So that's number one. Number two is that we all know that it didn't ever get released in theaters. Why was that? Duh, the coronavirus. I think Disney should have pushed this movie back and then given it the proper treatment, the proper advertisement treatment, and then I think it would have done better and I would have been more hyped going in. The only reason I wanted to see this even remotely is because A, Pixar and Disney, duh. B, I saw one trailer for it and I thought it looked interesting. 
So when I saw this, I was like, okay, let's watch this film. It looks good instead of, sweetie, this movie just came out. I really need to see it right now because of how f***ing pumped I am. So what was a good, well-rounded movie suffered terribly. But I did promise we'd talk about the movie itself, and I feel like it should have been longer. I, I do. I know that they try not to make kids' movies too long because kids have trouble sitting in place for too long. I get that. But I also get that they had this big, wonderful story they wanted to tell in this very imaginative, very original land, and I felt like it was rushed. So we have these two brothers on a quest to see their dad one time. The elder brother remembers the dad, but would like to see him again. Duh. The younger brother has never met the father and wants to see him. So we have this fun journey that's also very emotional. A, a true tearjerker potential is there. And it did make me cry. I did cry during this film especially in the final sequence when Ian gives up his chance to ever see his dad so he could keep the this dragon at bay so Barley could have a chance to right a wrong. Barley didn't see his dad on his deathbed because, well, he was an emotional child. I think we can all understand his point of view and we can understand why he's so, so tortured by it. So both of the kids can't see the dad because this dragon has to be fought and Ian who has never ever seen his father gives up the opportunity to ever meet him so Barley could have one last chance to talk to their dad and say he's sorry for not seeing him on his deathbed Jesus Christ that is so sad and I truly feel that if the movie was just a little longer they could have built up to that more and made it a a true tearjerker they could have really hit you in the feels with it but as it stands right now since we they obviously can't go back and change it it is still a good film it is still a fun film it is a fun journey that has plenty of nice little nods to DD in it without making fun of DD and making us nerds feel bad because you know we're, we're we're feely people so when it all ended I was happy. I liked the movie. It was a good film. It wasn't Pixar's best. It wasn't Pixar's worst. It fits right in the middle, which makes it a solid choice. If you just want to watch a good movie, watch this. If you have children and you want to watch something that'll make you feel feelings, watch this. Onward was a good film that came out at the wrong time and was handled poorly by Disney. So if you have Disney Plus, check this out. God, watch it already. Why haven't you watched it yet? If you don't have Disney Plus, consider it. Consider a month of Disney Plus and just watch all the movies you want to and then let it go. Ha, <laughs> that's a frozen joke. Onward gets an 8 out of 11. Before we continue, if you notice a sound in the background, I put the fan on because it's hotter than Satan's nutsack here. And you know that guy doesn't shave. Oh, fun fact, if you ever watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the guy who does the voice of the dad, who you can hear just a couple times in the movie, was Teddy. Yeah, that guy who Amy dated for a while and then tried to propose to her a million times. Well, let's move on to the final film this week, and that film is called Parasite. This is from 2019. You may remember all the buzz around it because it won a shit ton of awards, including Best Picture. 
The first time a foreign film has won Best Picture because normally the Academy likes to give them Best Foreign Film so they don't have to deal with them foreigners in the Best Picture category. And here is the official premise of that film. Greed and class discrimination threaten the newly found symbolic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kin clan. So I like to think I went into this film with an open mind. And I think I did because half of me really wanted to like it because it's an Academy Award winning film. It's an indie film that that just blew up and it's an Asian indie film. So that should be right up my alley. Another part of me wanted to dislike it because it's an artsy indie film. And even though I like to think I'm a well-rounded movie watcher, my opinions are are well-rounded. I do like your artsy films. I like your big budget films. I like them all. Even though I do like to think I'm like that, part of me still likes to go, oh no, take your art house film and get the f*** out of here. Mainly because I live in Santa Cruz in California and those kind of people piss me off. So Anne and I watched this movie on a movie day. We're going to watch movies all day. Yay! That was what we were going to do, and that's what we did, and this was one of them. And yeah, it sure was a movie. And in the end, I do feel like half of me liked it, half of me hated it. Because there were parts of it I really liked. There were elements I really liked. It was, there, there were very obvious juxtapositions between the classes. We had the Park family who lived in this huge house up on a mountain, uh, up away from a lot of people. Beautiful property, beautiful view. And then we had the Kim family that lived under the ground, basically. They lived in this tiny little apartment that was just barely below ground level down this weird, disgusting-looking alley where they constantly have drunks pissing near their home. And also what I liked about the film is that it didn't try and force this gap more. Like, the rich people weren't huge ass like evil rich people and these nice, good, hardworking, lower class people. It didn't do that. The rich Park family was nice. Maybe they weren't the most in touch people. Maybe the wife was kind of an idiot. Maybe the, the father just wasn't home and seemed not to care a lot. Maybe the kids were kind of dumb, but they weren't evil. They weren't mean. They weren't bad. Because then also in the house, you see all these pictures of the Park family together having fun together, posing, smiling. But then we see the Kim family. They don't have those kind of pictures in their home. And they're all, they also have this really weird dynamic. It doesn't feel like the mom and the dad are the mom and the dad. It just feels like they're all living in the same apartment together. And there just happens to be family appropriate age gaps. The cinematography was also beautiful. Some of the shots were really well done, especially some of the shots where intense things were happening. Like, like the Kim family is trying not to get caught doing something sneaky in the park's house. And we have this view coming up from the garage up into the main house where the camera sometimes would just stay there knowing that someone was coming up the stairs. How long would it take them? Will the, will the Kim family hide the evidence of their wrongdoings? And also very early on in the movie, you catch this idea that the Kim family aren't the good guys. Not, not really. Because of all the lying they do on how the son, I'm going to butcher this, Ki Woo, lied to get his sister, Ki Jung, into the household as a tutor. Then how they both got their dad in as a driver, then got the mom in as a housekeeper, first setting up the housekeeper and getting her fired just to get the mom in there, lying about all of their qualifications. So as the movie goes on as the, the whole family is working for the park family this kind of black miasma starts to form of 
just greed and envy. And then it all explodes in this really weird way that the old housekeeper had her husband living in a hidden room in the house. And then the Kim family accidentally kill her. And then during the Park family's son's birthday party, the husband of the slain woman escapes and tries to kill one of them. And then it all gets crazy. And the Kim son, the Kim family's son gets beaten really badly with a rock that he's been carrying around that has meaning. And the daughter gets stabbed. And when they, and when the son wakes up, the, his sister is killed. His, her, his father's on the run because he killed Mr. Park in a fit of rage. It's, it's, it just kind of spiraled into a what the fuck kind of moment. And I think I would have enjoyed the ending more, or at least not enjoyed, but understood it more if the film didn't drag. There, there are definitely times in the movie where the film dragged and there are really weird parts, too, that didn't need to be in there. I think the film could have gone from two hours to 12 and 12 minutes to about an hour 45. Cut that much out, make it a more compact film, and I think it would have served better. Because when Parasite wraps up, I just think there's too much of a what the f*** just happened for me to enjoy it any more than... Well, I'll save the score for the very end. But let's just say I could have liked this film. I, I could have liked it a lot more than I actually did. But I think some pacing issues and some weird plot choices made this movie go from what could have been a yeah and turned it into a eh. I, I say I went into this film with an open mind. And that was partially true, but I, I also went into it wanting to like it. And so I do think that cl that could have clouded my vision. But if it did cloud my vision, I think it would have clouded it for the positive. And seeing as how I'm not sure if I'll ever watch this film again, like I may own it if it's in a bargain bin one day. Maybe. But other than that, I never plan on watching this film again, if not only to watch it a few, like maybe 10 years in the future and go, how well did this age? Other than that, to me, this film is skippable, but seen as it's an Academy Award winner, I do think other people should watch it to see what they think. Do you agree with these Academy folk? Or what was your favorite film from 2019? And remember that you yourself are a better critic for your own tastes than anyone else. Parasite was a miss that should have been a hit. But if you watch the instant replay, the ball just squeaked right by that bat. Parasite gets a five out of 11. All right, my future friends, let's take one more break as we hear a word from our good friends at the We're Doing Fine podcast with Robbie and Lisa. Hi, Robbie. Hi, Lisa. How y'all doing? And we'll return with a question of the week and next week's films. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're, We're Doing, Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single. Popular culture. And basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because we're, we're doing, doing fine. fine. All right, we're back. So if you don't remember, let me tell you what last week's question was. And that was, which film were you certain you were going to like, but ended up disliking? So let's turn to Twitter for our first answer. Well, and only outside of the household from Brian Q, who says Fury Road. I loved the franchise and seemed to be alone in the world as to how disappointed I was with Fury Road. 
It looked cool, but had no character development. It was less a film and more of a long action sequence. I wish that I knew more about every character in the movie. What was the point of any of the more outlandish characters? How did they become who they were? I hated a movie that I was sure that I was going to love too much that I felt bad for the people in it. And ouch. I obviously liked that film, seen as I talked about it quite a bit on the show, but I do see where you're coming from. And it really was a long action sequence. There wasn't any character development whatsoever. And I I really didn't mind that because I think the action was cool enough to override that for me. But I do see what you mean. So now it's time to turn to our next answer that comes from Anne. Anne, who says... Both of Rob Zombie's Halloween remakes. Halloween is one of my favorite horror franchises, but it was utterly sh**. There was nothing redeemable. Nothing. They took away every aspect of Michael that made him scary. My blood boils. It was a wasted opportunity to rewrite Michael's backstory. Again, utterly sh**. Not even worth a rewatch. I actually agree with her. I didn't like him. I ended up buying them because I didn't see... I don't think I saw them in theaters, but I wanted to watch them, so I bought them. So we own them on Blu-ray. And fun fact, even though we both dislike them, and won't let me sell them. Because <laughs> then it breaks up the Halloween collection. Because right now, we own all of the Halloween movies on Blu-ray. Yay for us! Well, my future friends, it is time for my answer. And my answer takes us back to a film you've heard me mention quite a few times. It takes us all the way back to 2014. To a film called Nightcrawler. That's right, that's the Jake Gyllenhaal... Uh, Bill Paxton, and uh, who else was in that? Rene Russo. To that film about a con man who is desperate for work, he muscles his way into the world of L.A. crime journalism, and he blurs the line between observer and participant to become a star in his own story. I saw this one day after school, because as, as some of you know, when I was at San Jose State, I had during some of my classes i had a big break so i would go to the theater closest to the school watch a movie come back and this was going to be one of them and it just bothered me so much i, I was bothered in an on an emotional level like it made me feel gross and dirty for watching it but i was certain i went into this movie certain i was going to like it because it's jake gyllenhaal i like him as an actor he's very good and it looked like a deep dark crime thriller and it was too deep and too dark and Jake Gyllenhaal was too good. I mean, his character was truly an emotionless, evil person. And it just gave me the heebie-jeebies. And I, I will, again, never, ever watch this movie. All right, future friends, it is time for the next question of the week. And that question is, seen as we're focusing a lot on streaming services for these past episodes... If you could only keep one streaming service, which would you pick? And not just the major ones like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, but all of them. CBS All Access counts, Canopy and Hoopla, which are two that are linked to libraries, so you can stream indie films and classic movies with a library card. Even those count. So any streaming service, you can only keep one. What do you pick? And it's time to reveal the films we'll, we'll be talking about next week. So remember, we try to keep these somewhat new. And this week we picked one from each streaming service. So from Netflix, we have Extraction. That's a movie that will it will be released on Friday. So whenever you're listening to this, it's already been released. That's on Netflix. Once again, it is written by the Russo brothers and it is starring Chris Hemsworth. On Hulu, we have Booksmart, the movie from 2019. 
Starring Catherine Deaver, Beanie Feldstein, and Jason Sudeikis. Amazon Prime brings us Midsummer. Yes, that's that horror that stirred quite a few buzzes, I guess you could say, last year. And finally, on Disney Plus, we have Frozen 2. So once again, the new movies for next week are Extraction, Booksmart, Midsummer, and Frozen 2. If you have any movies on these streaming services you would like me to talk about on this show, as always, let me know. That's all you got to do. And you can answer the question of the week anytime. You can go back to the first question of the week and answer that. Just as always, I ask that you remind me what the question is if you're answering something that's not the current one. So without further ado, my future friends, let us step right into the closing housekeeping. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That is somewhatnerdy.com. I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. I would love five stars, please. And also, share the podcast. Share with your friends. That is how we grow here on the show. And then how do you reach me? That is a great question. You can leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or Facebook page. You can leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at BilliamSWN. You can email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes and also on the Somewhat Nerdy site. Be sure to check out the other shows in the network, Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle. Don't forget to support the friends of the show. You've heard their ads tonight. Please check out my personal blog, BilliamTheNerd.com. And then finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future. <laughs>